this morning. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Give you a second to get there. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray. Verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the ways in which you speak to us, the ways in which you guide us, the ways in which you comfort us, the ways in which you pour out your Spirit upon us, the ways in which you're at work in our lives, each and every moment of our lives, Lord, working all things together for our good. And Lord, we thank you for passages like this that equip us. Equip us to live this life in this world which is filled with suffering. Knowing that, Lord, you don't waste any of it. And I just ask, God, that you would help us grow as a church. Help us grow as your people. Help us grow in our faith. Help us to trust you when life gets hard. When things don't go the way that we want them to go. When bad news enters our life, Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, so take these words and sow them into our hearts that they might, they might bear a lot of fruit, that they might comfort those who are currently suffering, that, Lord, these seeds sown might bear fruit when suffering enters someone's life, maybe tomorrow. Maybe next year, maybe down the road. Lord, may these words bring comfort and care. May they equip us and help us to honor and glorify you each and every moment of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, for the last few weeks, I've been probably more specifically thinking about suffering. And I just say more specifically because I think As I've gotten older and as I grow as a pastor, I'm more and more aware of suffering, not just in my own life, but in the lives of the people in our church, in your lives. And I've been specifically thinking about how God uses it for our good to grow us in our faith. And even more specifically than that, I've been thinking about suffering in the area of parenting. And how we as parents like to protect our kids from suffering, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes when we do this, 
we remove a key means of God's grace in their lives that He has meant to help our kids grow in their own faith and mature in godliness. So this is one of my recent thoughts that I had this past week. And sometimes when I get these recent thoughts, I'll just randomly text them out to friends at times and we sort of bounce ideas off one another or they'll help build off of these ideas. And so I wrote this last week. I said, I think that we need to let our kids experience hard things and suffer. I had a friend that grew up experiencing many hard things from an early age because of his parents' struggles. His suffering was informed by God's word, a godly parent, a great church, and God's grace. This suffering he experienced caused him to grow up quicker than most kids and grew a lot in his faith as he was forced to rely on God and his grace to provide for most things in his life. And I mean most things in his life. I could think of one thing in a large thing that was actually given to him, but I would say most of the things that he had and possessed in his life, he had to work hard and pay for himself. At the end of the day, suffering hurts a lot, but it also produces so much more godly fruit and character in our lives than living an easy and comfortable life. Think about your own life for a second. Think about the most difficult things that you have had to walk through. How did these hard things affect you? How did God use them in your life to shape who you are right now at this moment and your faith? I've sat down with many people over the years in the midst of their suffering. I've watched people try their hardest to stay away from it and to keep it as far away from them as possible. Or when it does enter their lives, I've seen people try to quickly remove it and just just get rid of it. I've also watched people embrace it, live in it, and seek to trust God for it as they walk through it. Years and years ago, and some of you may not know me, I think I've been pastoring for 20, how long? 19 years. 19 years, so almost 20 years. And so when I say years and years ago, almost two decades ago, having the privilege of helping a husband and wife walked through probably the most difficult thing they've ever experienced in their marriage. It was the type of thing that ends a lot of marriages, but it didn't end this one, because both the husband and the wife feared God and walked through it with hope in God that He was at work in their lives and in their marriage for their good. And there was nothing easy about it at all. There wasn't even a quick fix to it, but both of them were willing to repent, look at their own sins and do the hard work that was needed to trust in God, actually forgive one another and live in the good of the gospel with the hope that God would restore their relationship with one another. At one point while we were meeting, one of them with tears running down their face said to me, I hate what I've done, but I wouldn't trade it. For anything because of what God is doing in me and my marriage through this. Those are one of those moments as a pastor where I get to sit in a room like that with people and watch people suffer and and to see God's grace at work in their lives. Because only God's grace would cause somebody to say, I hate what I've done, but I wouldn't trade any of it because I love what God is doing in me and in my marriage. Experiencing the fruit and the tenderness of knowing God and experiencing God's grace 
when you're at your most vulnerable place, when you absolutely have nothing. And that's what this person was communicating. And so almost 20 years ago, I can still remember sitting in that room, looking this person in the eyes and hearing these words. And it's, it's really shaped, shaped who I am. And it's helped shape the way I think about suffering because God is always at work in the midst of our suffering, especially in the lives of those who fear Him. Those who are tender towards Him and His Word and are eager to repent and do what He's called them to do. And, and God's grace was all over this marriage. God used their sins and the suffering that their sins produced to get their attention, reveal His goodness to them, show them the depths of His grace, and to grow them in their love for Him and their love for one another. This is just one couple. There's, there's so many of these stories that I could share. This couple still together today, loving one another and passionately loving Jesus. This life that we live is full of trials, full of uncertainties, full of hard things and suffering. And if you haven't experienced them yet, you will. One moment you might find yourself enjoying the happiest place on earth only to have your happiness rudely interrupted by suffering. I remember one day many years ago when Sarah and I were at home just sort of doing life together as normal when the phone rang and the next thing I saw was my wife on her knees crying as she found out that one of our friends had passed away in a car accident. See, suffering has this way of just sort of rudely interrupting our day. And it rudely interrupted our day that day and it not only changed our lives but it changed many people's lives. Suffering is a reality that we all have to face. And I wish this weren't the case, but it is. So a question for you is, are you prepared for it? How will you walk through it when it comes into your life? And I've started stuttering, studying suffering as well, and so I, I purchased a number of books, and I picked one up recently, and I was reading it. And, and right from the beginning, uh, one, of, one of the authors, because it's an edited version, there's a number of authors, he just said, he said, we live in a generation that, that is surprised by suffering. And, and he was comparing it to all the past generations. And whether that's true or not, that's, that's just what he said. And, and it, sort of, it sort of feels true as being sort of a younger guy living in this generation. I, I don't expect to suffer, but as I think about life lived prior generations before me, they, they just expected suffering. Because it was all around them. Life wasn't as easy and as comfortable as it is that we're experiencing today. And so the reality is, sometimes we get surprised by it. And part of the reason I'm preaching this message today is, I don't want us to be surprised by suffering. I don't want us as a church to be surprised when hard things hit our life. Expecting that we're never going to experience hard things. Because the reality is, it's, it's just a reality for us. Suffering is real and it will come find us. It will come find us. I recently also read a story about a man whose wife was diagnosed with cancer and he spent a, she spent a year receiving chemotherapy and radiation not knowing if she would live or die. At the same time, this man also experienced severe loss with his business, losing key employees and contracts, making things very difficult financially for him. And listen to how he responded. He said, Discouragement lurked around every corner, trying to capture my feelings. Prayer was no longer a contemplative luxury, but the only means to survive. My own intercessions were multiplied by the prayers of others. 
Friendships were deepened as I was forced to allow people to assure me with words I had preached for years. No day went by without a conversation, letter, or phone call giving me love and hope. The greatest discovery that I have made in the midst of all the difficulties is that I can have joy when I don't feel like it. Life, with all of its trials, difficulties, and suffering, will either destroy you, or by the grace of God, they will drive you to a place of utter dependence upon God where you will find joy that is incomprehensible. Somewhere, In the midst of all this suffering and darkness, there is joy to be found in God alone. And this morning in our text, the Apostle Paul helps us find this joy as he as he shines some insights on on suffering and and what suffering does, what it produces in our lives. And, And what I love about this section of scripture is it gets pretty technical before it gets to sort of the application. And so we've been spending time in Galatians and we've been talking about being justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And, and Paul picks up on this here in Romans and, and he again throws it out there for us to see this wonderful truth that it's not just this theological truth that we're to memorize and hold on to and it's sort of out here, but this theological truth actually helps us suffer. It actually informs how we should be thinking about suffering. So what we're going to learn from our text this morning is this. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And in this, we can rejoice, even in our sufferings. We're going to take a look at this truth and kind of unpack it with three points. So the first thing we learn is this. Justification gives us peace with God. In chapters 1 and 2 and 3, Paul teaches us that everyone by nature... And by their actions have fallen short of the glory of God. Having sinned against God are completely deserving of God's wrath and judgment. In chapter 2 he teaches us that everyone who is self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation, distress for every human being who does evil. And he sums up this teaching about our unrighteousness by saying this. None is righteous. No, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so he's just describing who we are apart from faith in Christ. We're not good people. We don't actually seek to do righteous things. And we're all deserving of God's wrath. And so what he's teaching us here is our greatest problem is not something that's outside of us. It's not the, the big circumstance that's sort of ruining our life. It's, it's not someone else and their sin. That's, that's not our greatest problem. No, our greatest problem is that we have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in our actions, our attitudes, or our nature. And Scripture is very clear that all of us, having sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we deserve God's righteous judgment. Scripture is also clear that because of our sin, what it does is it separates us from God. And we see that in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve walking in a close relationship with God, and then they sin against God, and then they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and they're they're separated from God. And so we see that sin separates us from God. It puts us all in this position whereby instead of walking in this right relationship with God marked by blessing and peace... 
Instead, it's one that's marked by separation, condemnation, guilt, and judgment. And we all sort of feel this at times. Because our sin robs us of this peace that we were meant to enjoy with God. It takes us out of this right relationship with God. And the only way that we'll ever get rid of this condemnation and guilt is by being justified by God. We need to be forgiven of all of our sins. We need to be declared righteous so that we can enjoy this relationship with God. Ultimately, what we need is we need God to give us this peace we long for. And the good news, the good news here is that God has given this peace to us through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Look with me at verse 1 again. Paul writes the following, he says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul's speaking to believers here. He's stating a fact for us. That everyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ alone for their forgiveness of sins and for their righteousness, they now possess this peace with God. He's not talking about a peace with God that's sort of this subjective-like feeling of calm in the midst of great troubles. This peace that he's talking here is, it's objective. It's peace with God. It means that if we believe in Jesus Christ, having been justified by him, it means we're not at war with God anymore. It means that God is not angry at us, positioning us to be punished by him with his wrath. It means that our relationship with God is not a broken relationship. It means that we are loved by God. It means that we are forever loved by God. It's not this subjective feeling. It's, it's this objective fact that those who trust in Christ, those who have been justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ, Christ alone, we possess peace with God. It's something that he gives to us. And there's nothing you can do, nothing you will ever do, that will ever remove this peace or disqualify you from having this peace with God because Christ purchased it for us through his life, death, and resurrection. I told you it gets a bit technical. And this leads us to our second point. Justification gives us access to God. So justification gives us peace with God and and it gives us access to God. You see, peace with God is more than just simply being, being God being okay with us and sort of kind of tolerating us. We learn here that this peace with God actually brings us into this relationship with God whereby we have full access to God. Verse 2, he says, Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, this is not a subjective truth that we sort of feel. I think we experience it at time, but but it's one of those objective truths. It's, It's a fact. Since our sins have been forgiven and we've been declared righteous, there's no more separation between us and God. And this is good news. Because a lot of times I'd say what we feel is we feel separation. We feel the gap between God's holiness and our unholiness. 
We know that he is sinless and he's perfect in all of his ways and and he demands perfection and, and we know who we are. We know we still fall short. We know sin still is at work in our lives and we blow it and we can feel the gap. But what this truth teaches us here is that there is no gap because Christ was perfect on our behalf. Living a perfect life, never having sinned, and then dying a sacrificial death on a cross for us so that we would always have access to God because of who Christ is and what he's done. And so there's no gap there. We may feel it, but that's where we need these objective truths to inform our feelings at times. Because sometimes when we feel it, what do we like to do? We like to run. We like to hide. We like to pull away. We like to ignore this. That's sort of how it comes out in a practical way sometimes. Is, is we, we pull away from drawing near to the Lord because we don't feel worthy enough to draw near to Him. Because we feel like we sort of let Him down. Well, there's, there's this, this, it's not even a secret. We've all let Him down. That's why I was quoting that in... in Romans chapter 2 there, it's just none of us are righteous. None of us were pursuing God. God pursued us. He sent his son to die for us, to live in our place, and to die on the cross for our sins so that, so that we would be forgiven and accepted by God, forever accepted by God, and have this access to God. And this is called grace. It's God's undeserved favor to those who don't deserve his favor. Because what we deserve is we deserve punishment. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve to be eternally separated from God. But the truth is, we're not. Because of who God is. Having so loved us, He sent His Son to save us. So there is no separation for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And because of this, we have full access to God. The way I kind of like to think about it is, is, is we have this open door policy with God. The door is always open. And it's not based upon our own performance. It's, it's based upon Christ. We don't always like to enter that door, but the door is always open. This is what this word is teaching us here. We have peace with God and we have full access to God. He invites us to draw near to Him. And it's based solely on the works of Jesus Christ. This leads us to our third point. Justification gives us a reason to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And I added something. In the midst of our sufferings. Justification gives us a reason to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In the midst of our sufferings. Now that What Paul does here is he brings these truths about justification, this peace with God, this access to God, and he brings them into this application to our everyday moment of life. Verse 2 again, he goes like this. He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who's been given to us. To rejoice in the hope of the glory of God means we can joyfully boast about the future we have with God in heaven. Because of everything that Jesus has done for us, securing our standing before God, securing our peace with God, and obtaining our access to God, we can confidently know and expect today that we will one day be with God in heaven forever. What Paul is saying here is we boast in that. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We, we make it our, our confident expectation as believers who trust in Jesus Christ that this world is not all that there is. That this world will pass away, but our hope is not in the things of this world. Our hope is what lies out there for us. Where we get to spend eternity with Christ forever. And what he's saying there, we joyfully boast in this. I think it applies to us in the midst of our suffering because we have to remember sometimes to boast about this. Or sometimes just to remind one another that that this isn't our home. Something far better awaits us. And it's ours. We get it. It's already been secured for us through what Christ has done for us. And so we boast about this. Even in our suffering. How can this be? How can we truly rejoice in God when life hurts so bad? How can a person rejoice in God when they just lost a child or a friend? Well, Paul tells us that our suffering is never in vain. It's never in vain. Our suffering, it actually produces something. I love sections of Scripture like this because God sort of reveals or takes away the veil and He just helps us see a little bit. And so you may be walking through some suffering right now or suffering is going to hit your life at some point. But what He teaches us here is that, that suffering produces stuff. Good stuff. Suffering produces endurance, He says. Real hardships have a way of just stripping away the temporary things in our life that we've found comfort in and or relied on for peace. And so suffering comes and and, and those things get taken away sometimes. Real hardships also have a way of growing our faith in God, giving us this single-mindedness toward God who is truly our only hope in this life. Tim Keller has written a book on suffering. I think we have it back there in the bookstore. Great book. He has this to say. He said, suffering makes us focus. It helps us focus on what is really important. It makes us remember what is really lasting. Helps us to realign our priorities and so on. It removes distractions. Paul is teaching us here that suffering makes our faith in God stronger. It builds this endurance. It helps, us, it helps us maintain this faith in Christ to the very end. Either the end of our life or when Christ comes back to gather His people. And so God is at work in suffering, building up our endurance to trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And I say it like that because we're just tempted at times to trust in other things. We've been spending time in Galatians. We like to trust in ourselves. We like to think that we can be good enough. And the truth is we can't. Our only hope 
is Jesus Christ. And so God is at work in our sufferings, helping us to endure in our faith, making us stronger. Now, to be clear, God doesn't love suffering for the sake of suffering. He's not a crazy, insane God that's just like, I'm going to bring suffering into the world. He's a good God that loves his people, and we learn that he's at work in all things for our good. He comforts those who suffer. He's always at work redeeming our suffering. He takes something horrible and he uses it to build us up in the faith, giving us a greater endurance to run this race of faith. But he doesn't just stop with endurance. He goes on and he says endurance produces character. This word means testedness. It's a quality a person gets over time as they experience something. So just think about the life that you've lived, maybe something hard or maybe you're doing something for the first time, like having to be a senior and come up and stand right here. And all of a sudden you're you're really nervous. I know that feeling. Remember the first time I ever preached a message It was in a, a different church and it was a very large church. And I had to do something like that at the age of 24 and I could feel my heart pounding out of my chest. There's other moments like that as well, but, but I, I don't know how many times I've had to stand behind this thing now over almost 20 years. It's just a different feeling. There, there's something that God does as we walk through different things, and it could be major things that are hardships. It can just be new things that we're just being tested in that's, that feels like suffering, but it, what it does is it produces things. It changes us as we trust God in the midst of it. So I'm sure you have that. Your first day at work, whatever it is you're doing, And maybe you've been doing that now for 20 years. I guarantee you're probably better at it today than you were when you first started. Probably not as nervous or anxious when you first go into it as you are, as you were back then and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just the way life works. And so God, God works through hard things as we experience hard things. He takes those hard things and he produces endurance and then, and then he takes them and he, and he produces character in us or godliness. As a pastor, I've walked with many kids who have suffered great things in their lives at early ages. Sometimes I I couldn't imagine myself walking through these things myself at those ages. But what I've observed in the lives of kids who have suffered, I mean bigger things, I've seen that God has caused these kids to grow up quickly. God has used these trials in their lives to teach them to trust Him. I've seen it grow them, not just in their faith, but to produce this godliness in them as well. I know teenagers that know God's grace and extend this grace to others because they've had to work through forgiving parents. I know teachers that are teenagers that have grown up without a parent because their parent died too soon, who are mature in their faith. They trust God to provide, and they have a solid foundation in the gospel. Because God met them in the midst of their suffering. In many ways, I I think about Trevor Sanford, a young man who passed away in our church recently. He was like this. His character was shaped by suffering and the struggles that he walked through as a child. If you read his funeral, it was one of the things a lot of you came up and said, is just as, as people shared testimony of Trevor's life, especially his brother's, And sisters, it was just, I want to be like that. It just stood out to me and it got me thinking a lot about suffering. Because I know Trevor and I've known him since he's a young age. And I'd say, God works in our lives in different ways. But but Trevor did not have an easy life. 
Trevor suffered a lot. You probably didn't really see it a lot, but he was a kid that just knew suffering. And so when people come up, they're like, I want to be like that. And they just immediately thought, like, do you really want to suffer like that? And so his life and the, the testimonies and the way that people honored him was just, it was appropriate because in a sense they're, they're honoring him, but they're honoring God's grace in his life. Trevor was the way he was because Trevor was a man who walked through suffering, fearing God. And God met him in the midst of it and shaped him for who he is. And so that's just what suffering does. It produces godly character in people who fear God. So I'd say this to us as parents. Let your kids suffer. Let them suffer. And not just let them suffer for the sake of suffering, but help them suffer. Take them to God's word. Help them to understand what God is doing in the midst of their suffering. And then help them to understand who God is. Because a lot of times, we don't, we don't understand why suffering is actually taking place in the sense of the specifics of it. But what I would say, when I try to reconcile hard things, how I do it and how I recommend people do it, is by understanding who God is. He's a good and gracious God. He's merciful and gracious. He's got an open door policy. He doesn't leave us in the midst of our suffering. Instead, he wants to meet us in the midst of our suffering. And so I'd say this as parents, let your kids suffer. Let them experience hard things. Walk through those hard things with them. Do not bail them out every time. God wants to use it, and he will use it, because he'll produce endurance and character. And he goes on to say, and hope. And hope, our confidence in God grows in our suffering, and we will grow stronger in our conviction that we really do have the hope of eternal life with God in heaven. Again, Tim Keller says the following. He said, suffering removes from us rival sources of confidence and hope Other places we might look to for our sense that deep down we are okay and that our future will be okay. Suffering drives us to that one place where we will find real hope, real confidence, and real certainty. God. This is why I would say, parents, let your kids suffer. This is the thing we pray for, isn't it? We pray that our kids would love God more than anything else in this world. That they would not love this world or the things of this world, but they would give their lives to following Jesus Christ. And what God is teaching us here in this passage is that he does it a lot of times through suffering. When he strips everything away that we want to put our hope in, that we want to trust in, and he takes suffering, he just reminds us that this world is not all that it's cracked up to be. That we're not called to live for these things. Everything in this life will disappoint us, doesn't it? doesn't matter. Kids, growing up, your parents are going to disappoint you because they're just like you. We all sin and we all fall short and we, it still remains. And so the only thing that doesn't disappoint is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we live this life knowing this world is going to pass away. And we live this life with a great hope. That there's a better place that we're called to live forever where there will be none of this disappointment. There will be no sin. There will be no more goodbyes. Where we'll be together in heaven with Christ forever and ever and it will be perfect. You see, God uses suffering to, to show us these things. To teach us these things. 
to help us loosen our grip on the things of this world that we might tighten it around Jesus Christ. And so church, in conclusion, I just want to encourage you, remember that you've been justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. You have peace with God forever because of Christ. And you have access to God forever because of Christ. I also want to encourage you, do not run from suffering. As Jason was saying, we wait. We can wait in the midst of it. There's all different types of ways in which we suffer. But we wait upon the Lord to move. But I would say, run to the Lord in the midst of it. Pray that the Lord would use suffering to produce endurance in us. To strengthen our character that we might be more like Christ as we walk through it. And that we might actually have a real hope in the glory of God and the future that we have with Christ in heaven. And so church, when suffering comes, and it will, by the grace of God, may we suffer well. May we rejoice in a God that loves us, who killed His Son to save us and to give us this hope. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day again. And we thank You for Your Word and for the ways in which You speak to us and teach us and love us and guide us. And I just ask that You would watch over us and You would protect us and You would lead us to live the lives You've called us to lead. Lord, that You would fill us with Your Spirit that we would be your witnesses. And Lord, that we would outdo one another in showing honor. And that we would encourage one another. And we would help one another to suffer well. Lord, I ask that you would bless this church. Lord, you would anoint us to be your people. And you fill our hearts with great joy. For you are a good and gracious God. May you receive all the glory from our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here today. As you leave, may the Lord bless you. May he pour out his spirit upon you. Have a blessed Sunday.